where I think a lot of people run into problems is they hear about a diet or they hear about or their friend does something and they automatically assume that's going to work for them. And that's really guesswork because they keep coming up with new diets because there's no one diet that will solve everybody's challenges. And, uh, and I think people have to recognize that. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I am very excited to share today's guest with you. We're bringing on a three-time national bodybuilding champion, advisor to the Anti-Cancer Institute and director of education at BioOptimizers Nutrition's one of the world's most innovative nutritional supplement companies. He's also the author of several books, including the best-selling book, Staying Alive in a Toxic World and The Wealthy Backpacker. The Awesome Health Podcast is part of his mission to help others fix their digestion and transform their health with the daily practice of positive principles, rituals, and optimizers. Please welcome Wade Lightheart to the show. Welcome aboard. Dr. Richard, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've been excited about this for a while. Thank you. And so this is there's so many interesting things that we can talk about, but I'm curious, what was it for you that really started you on this journey and really wanted to become a digestion expert? It was completely by accident, but let me back the truck up. <laughs> so um, you know, I grew up in rural Canada, which was life was pretty ordinary, like there was no you know, everything was pretty normal up till the time I was 15 years old. And I lived in a small town, and did all the small town things, played hockey, did all the normal stuff. But but 15, I had three life-changing things that happened to me literally within a very, very short window. Number one, my parents moved to, to be caretakers of this beautiful resort, but it was five miles to my nearest neighbor and like 35 miles to my school. I, we literally lived up a dirt road with the telephone poles. So I wasn't too happy about that when I was 15 because uh, I was removed from my friends. I was kind of isolated and I had a lot of time in my hands and I had to travel a lot. So that wasn't too great. However, it set me up for a couple things. Second thing that happened was my sister was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, which is a form of cancer mm. of the lymph nodes. And over the course of the next four years, that illness kind of dominated her lives before she died at the age of 22. She was four years my senior. So that was, uh, that was very impactful, as you can imagine. And then the third thing that happened is, is my sister had also given me a bodybuilding magazine right around the same time that she got diagnosed with her condition. And I had a picture of this Mr. California, Troy Zuclato on the cover and two pretty girls and and you know, being driven mad with testosterone at 15 years old, and realizing I didn't have all these muscles, nor did I have any hope of, you know, seeing any girls in this rural place. I thought, well, maybe, maybe, you know, I kind of drank the Kool Aid that Joe Weider sold on the magazine. I said, well, I got to get muscles. 
So I literally built a gym in my garage. We had a big bar in there because it was a very rural place and started lifting weights like Rocky style and reading books and learning about Arnold Schwarzenegger and all these different things and making these dreams that one day I would, you know, be off in California and competing in contests. And, um, and so that led to me to go to university, study exercise physiology at the University of New Brunswick and nutrition. Um, after I got out of that, I started mentoring under and working in the industry from supplement stores to gyms and, uh, found my mentorship with my my coach eventually down the road and uh, ended up capturing a couple of titles in the national championships and going to the Mr. Universe. But what was interesting when I went to the Mr. Universe, so 16 years of prep, I go to the Mr. Universe, you know, it's everything I dreamed of. It's my life dream and everything. And then after that contest, I gained 42 pounds of fat and water in 11 weeks. Wow. I went from Mr. Universe to Mr. Marshmallow. And I was like, how is this possible? I'm following, I've got the best coach in the world in this industry. I've got Spartan discipline. I've got all these, I'm, I'm supposed to be doing everything right. But here, I, all of a sudden, something's really wrong with me. And I don't know what's happening. And I had the good fortune of meeting a guy by the name of Dr. Michael O'Brien. And uh, he was a senior citizen and he had like super vibrant skin. And he was like, had all this energy. And, and, and he was so smart. I was like, wow, like this guy can kick my butt. And he's like, oh, like, Two and a half times my age, and I went to him. I said, "What's what's going on? Like, why did this happen to me?" And he said, "Well, wait." He said, "You've learned to build the body from the outside in. You haven't learned to build the body from the inside out." And it was just like a light bulb had hit me. My entire focus had kind of been this external representation of perfection or what we were supposed to go to, and I achieved that at the cost of my internal physical health, and primarily at all health. And disease, as a Hippocrates said, starts in the gut. And, and so I went under a program with him and I started using enzymes and probiotics. And I went on a very rigid diet for six weeks or six months where I was on a raw food diet. Actually, I extended that for a couple of years and, and rebuilt my body within six months, got my physique back, got my health back, had like way more energy, felt great. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. So I started teaching uh, people how I did it. And then uh, later on, uh, that led to clinical work in Vancouver, and then that led to the development of a company, and then that developed into this message where we uh, started fixing people's digestion because we realized 12% of hospital visits today, uh, like emergency hospital visits are due to gastrointestinal conditions. There's over 95 million Americans on a daily basis that's suffering, suffering from some form of digestive distress. Um, and it's, it's, it's just scaling up massively. And so we wanted to help people in this area by providing them tools, resources, and products that will help them get back on track so they can do everything else in their life they're supposed to do. So that's the whole journey in about 30 years and about three minutes. <laughs> 30 years and three minutes. And that was, that was beautifully capped. Yeah. And I definitely want to get to the tools, the resources, and, and actionable things that people can do to improve their digestion. And we'll get there. But I wanted to spend a little more time talking about the science because there, I have seen more stories in the, in the media Lately, it seems like we're starting to pay a little bit more attention to the gut. Like, I know recently there's been scientific evidence that has been suspected for a while, but proven to be true in terms of a relationship between gut bacteria and mental health. And that's a huge deal. But for those listening and really other than maybe they 
gone to the drugstore and popped a probiotic, and, and that's kind of the extent of their digestive health. Break us through the system. Take us through why digestion impacts everything. And how does one know, other than having to go to the hospital for some sort of gastrointestinal distress, what are the signs that things maybe aren't right for us? Great stuff. So I want to qualify something. First and foremost, people are wondering, well, why are we having so many digestive issues and all the time? So if you look through humanity throughout history, not having enough food was number one cause of death and destruction for literally eons. And now, because of modern technology, particularly industrialized worlds, we've corrected that problem. And now obesity is becoming like, we're not able to break down and utilize the food that we're eating. We're eating foods that we have never actually had before that are designed for shelf life and preservation, which have advantages for feeding people, but can also contribute to digestive issues, um, which we can go into that. So typically it was kind of a good thing if you could just get food. And now that we have an abundance of food and all these things that we haven't digested for our bodies, genetic modification, sterilization, which has advantages, but also we don't, you know, we don't eat carrots out of the ground that had natural bacteria on it and things like that. So you look at our digestive system and how it works. It starts in the mouth. We chew our food. It breaks down. It, it goes into the esophagus, down into the stomach. We re- release a little bit of pitalin at the front, of, like it's an enzyme that starts breaking down carbohydrates. It enters the stomach. We've got 30 to 60 minutes uh, where the enzymes present in the food are supposed to break down. I'll talk about that in a minute. Then Hydrochloric acid comes in, the pH of that chai moves, peristaltic contraction are mixing us all up. It exits the stomach uh, into the intestinal tract. And that's the last stage, kind of where the bacteria will go and break that down from the first part of digestion and finish it off to transport the stuff into energy units and building blocks for our body. And then eventually peristaltic contraction goes and we get rid of the waste. So those are the that's a very, very simplified version of what happens in digestion. And so there's several different areas where things can go wrong. Number one, humans are the only species on the planet that cooks their food. The advantages of cooking your food is that you can eat a lot more calories, you can store it, you can all this sort of stuff, but you literally destroy all the enzymes present. So if I'm a zebra or I'm a tiger going hunting in the morning, I will kill a zebra, I'll eat the meat, I'll eat the entrails first where the enzymes and probiotics, and then I'll eat the rest of the, the, the carcass. So I not just get the nutrients in the foods, which is what we focus in in nutrition, but I also get the, the enzymes. And enzymes are responsible from everything from thinking to blinking. They're chemical agents. There's over 25,000 different reactions. And we really haven't paid much attention to that in our science. It's, you know, I'm, I'm a classically trained nutritionist and they talk about enzymes and then it just gets on to everything else. That's issue number one in that our bodies have to manufacture more enzymes And there's an energetic or a metabolic cost to that. And I always call it the turkey dinner syndrome. Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever, everybody has the big turkey dinner. It's wonderful. You have all the helpings. You have another one. Then you have grandma's apple pie after or whatever. And then everybody's sprinting for the the living room as people are going down on the couch. People are on the floor. They're drooling on their face. You think, I've just ate enough energy to probably power myself for a week. But why am I so tired? And that's because of the metabolic cost of digestion. So when people start losing energy, oftentimes it's related to um, they're not able to, the metabolic cost of consuming their food is pretty high. Second thing is, particularly when we get older, um, people will start to feel so tired, energy, low energy, feeling bloated or like really full after meals. These type of things are usually indications that you're not breaking down particular enzymes. 
skin conditions. And then eventually we can get into depression as also. There's a, about 25% of the population who's suffering from depression is because they're not breaking down their proteins into the amino acids and then having the bacteria to convert those amino acids into the polypeptide chains that make our happy, healthy hormones in our brain or brain function. And it's a big issue, particularly amongst uh, children. Second stage, the hydrochloric acid. Most of us, by the time we're 30 or 40, don't produce enough of this. This is what disinfects um, our food from you know, bacteria, parasites, viruses, things like that. And as that diminishes, our chances of getting sick or getting illness, or it starts off with you know, gas and bloating. These are typical common components. Or getting sick a lot. Oftentimes, that's our first stage of our immune system because we're not killing off those patients or we're always getting viruses or we're always getting colds. That's a big factor. And then the, and then, um, the third big one would be, you know, we're just not going to the bathroom regularly. We're finding that the foods that we eat are not enjoying us or we're getting constipated or diarrhea. So A, you know, you know it's kind of like uh, the three different things that come up is, uh, you know, acid reflux, uh, bloating and gas. And constipation and diarrhea and, and acid reflux, I'd also call heartburn. Some people would call it uh, that feeling of burning sensation. And what's interesting is that's generally caused not by too much acid in the body, but it's actually too little. And there's a mechanism that's involved in that. So those are the three things that we see people suffering from. And that's how it starts out. And we get used to it. And we take these kind of Band-Aid solutions, whether it's you know some Tums because I don't feel good, or I'll take a, a laxative because I don't feel it, or I'll uh, I'll take a, a some sort of digestive aid, or you know the pink stuff that people drink. I won't name any names, or all these sort of things, and we don't really think about that. But later on, those start causing problems down the road. You know, after 10, 15, 20, 30 years of this, and that's where we start running into problems. And I'm not saying that you can supplement your way out of a bad diet. But I think there's a lot of agents today in our dietary practice that our bodies just aren't used to breaking down. And that's a big issue. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. You very briefly, as you were describing things, talked about you know, there are things in our diet that are either there for self-preservation or the bodies aren't used to eating. Uh, a lot of people are talking about you know, genetically modified food, corn, high fructose corn syrup has been, you know, you go to the store now, it's, it's like blasted on packages, you know, they're bragging that they don't have high fructose corn syrup in it. Take us through, you know, the impact of genetically modified food. And first, the first question about genetically modified food, can this be beneficial to our health in any way? Uh, because, you know, like you go into a Home Depot and they have these special tomatoes that you know, are designed to not you know, die in, in high heat situations. And so you'd think there'd be some utility to that. But let's start with the, the GMO stuff and talk about that. Yeah, and I always like to try and 
present as much of a balanced argument as I can, because it, oftentimes we can take a, a sliver of the current present and not realize how we got here. So I try and look, how did we get here? And the bottom line is, is we started cultivating genetically modified foods to adapt to monoculture farming. So really since World War II, we started growing, instead of a farmer growing multiple crops at the turn of the century, let's say the turn of the like in the early 1900s, over 90% of the people were working on a farm, if you can imagine. And now I think it's like less than 2% of the population are working on farms. So farms got really efficient because we moved to monoculturing. We started using genetic engineering. We started using herbicides, pesticides, fungicides in order to stay the crops. We started using nitrogen components, leftover residues from bombs. We had all this extra material to kind of accelerate the growth. And it worked. We were able to produce more food per acre than we ever had that supported the massive growth of the population, which were also accelerated by the development of antibiotics. Because before you just died from infection. So you have all of a sudden these technological revolutions, relatively the same time, antibiotics, genetic modification, nitrogen components, herbicides, pesticides, and fungicides, and all of a sudden, fertilizers, and all of a sudden we had this kind of mosh pit of, hey, we can produce a lot more food for a lot more people, and we've solved the food problem. (laughs) However, and that's true, (laughs) the problem that arose from that is we didn't necessarily understand the effects of these herbicides, pesticides, and fungicides, and how that interrupts some of these digestive processes. We didn't understand the, uh, you know, obesity wasn't such an issue before, and now it is because we have an abundance of these foods that oftentimes are designed that we can overeat because they're not nutrient dense. They're calorie dense, but not nutrient dense. And then also um, looking at um, is our bodies, is the bacteria in our bodies able to break down these foods? This wasn't fully understood when all of these things were developed. How could we know? And now we are, you know, 100 years or a good 70 years into these experiments and we're starting to see, oh, yeah, we solved the food problem, but now we have a problem of of digesting, absorbing, and assimilating this food. And so now we're starting to say, well, what is the process that that happens? How do we do that? And how do we adapt to what we've done over the last 70 years? So I would say we're seeing a rise in awareness and digestive health, and it's starting to recognize there's a problem and it's not is you know if i just put food in my mouth it doesn't mean it just magically it's converted into energy or into building blocks there is a process there and when that process is interrupted it compromises every aspect of our life and can lead to very serious conditions down the road if unchecked so now we're at that and i think we're entering into what's the golden age of digestive health there's a lot of technology out there checking you know what foods fit your genetics and epigenetics we're looking at the ability to take samples to, to look at what are the bacteria relative to your diet as well and, and how that's working or what things are, what we can do on a natural day, I suppose, it's just wiping everything out or killing things or that sort of stuff. We're looking at, well, how do we cultivate an inner terrain that supports the diet that we're having? Before we get into that a little deeper, I, I did want to circle back to the high fructose corn syrup issue because I, I recall... And I, I don't know if this is true. Somebody told me this some time ago. So you can you can debunk this conspiracy here. So this will be groundbreaking. That when the soft drink industry converted over from cane sugar to high fructose corn syrup, it was kind of kicked off in the early 80s when Coke went off the market 
and then they replaced it with new Coke, which tasted different and people were furious. And then they brought in Coke Classic, but Coke Classic was uh, allegedly the first soft drink that had this on the market. And people didn't exactly remember what original Coke tasted like, but Coke Classic was kind of closer. So is that... Is that a story that you've heard, or you know? Are the I co- have heard that story. <laughs> I have heard that story, and there's another one that came as well later on when they introduced Diet Coke and the use of sweeteners, you know, and that was another big boost uh, inside of product sales as well. So those are, I can't. I'm, I'm not a Coke a cola executive. <laughs> I can't confirm or deny all of those things, but I do remember that process when I went, as you might have remembered, I, I remember going through this as a kid when they had new Coke and then Coke, it was a crisis. And then there right. was Coke classic. And this was like, everybody was outraged. Furious. Everybody was furious oh. and, and people were protesting. Yes. And then, and then new Coke, new Coke came back and then Coke, new Coke was, or Coke came back as Coke classic. And then new Coke was renamed as Coke two. With the number two, the numeral two, and then it vanished sometime thereafter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember they had those styrofoam containers and those like weird bottles. Right. They even changed so, the bottles you know, and if, stuff. Uh, yeah. If and, and I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, where where Coca Cola is headquartered. So if black helicopters start circling overhead, we'll know that we're in some trouble here. But but in all seriousness, you know, obviously, you know, the, the food industry has been using high fructose corn syrup now for a good thirty ish years. What does the data tell us about that? The use of that and its effect on digestion. Anytime that you can make that. You, you strip away the agents or the nutrients that are inside of a food. For example, if I bought normal cane sugar and you know, I picked up a cane thing, there's, there's an association of enzymes and minerals and other components inside of that. The idea of stripping that away, creating a, a, a highly sweet product, number one, our brains like sweet. Um, this was something that was a survival mechanism. And so our body wants more of that. So typically the first result is, which is great for companies, is that you consume more of that product and want more of that product. It's simple, fast, easy sugar. It's like uh, using cocaine for energy. It, you have a lot of energy, but there is a cost to that. Um, what you really see is a really increase in obesity and you see a really increase in insulin-dependent diabetes, you know, so type two diabetes, not where you don't able to produce it. We saw those two things rise almost in correlation with high fructose corn syrup. And largely in part, it's generally because you drink so much more food, you raise your insulin levels that much higher than you would under say normal sweeteners that might be found in say an orange or an apple or things like that. And uh, it's, you can pound out a lot of calories in one of those really quickly. And your body just wants more because it goes, it's almost mainlining to the brain. And there's a certain satisfaction that you get that reinforces that loop. And when you, when you understand that, it's like, man, you want more. So we've spent a good 20 minutes filling people with fear and concern about the state <laughs> of the food we're putting into our bodies. Let's talk about some things that people can start doing to fix their digestion. Well, I think first and foremost, you really, the things that you have to kind of limit or become aware of inside your diet is looking at herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, genetically modified foods, and these artificial type sweeteners that aren't naturally occurring. Those inflammatory agents are the things that mess up your bacteria. They 
throw off your insulin levels and it makes harder sticking to any diet. So whole natural foods is in, in as in as close to nature as you can possibly get are always a good idea. Second thing is you need to find a diet that keeps you satiated. And what I mean by that is the satiety index is something that determines how much a food fills you up. And the more processed the food becomes, generally, the less it fills you up. In other words, if you eat a pint of blueberries or a couple of pints, there's, there's a certain point in blueberries where your body goes, okay, I, that's enough. I can't eat anymore. When it talks about, when you're talking about a processed food like, you know, cheesies or chips or, you know, a soda pop, there's no satiety. And, and for example, to use the example Coca-Cola, there's, it's, it's a satiety index of absolutely zero. In other words, you can drink this unlimitedly and your brain does not register that you've hit a limit. That's a unique development in foods. And of course, that it's great for companies because they sell more of that product. And if you're using those products, it's very hard to maintain your diet. That's the next thing. Uh, so a, a balance of healthy foods, making sure you get proteins, a healthy fats in your diet, and kind of natural-based carbohydrates or complex carbohydrates, whether that's from fruits or vegetables, those are the best sources that you can find, and particularly if you combine them properly. And oftentimes, you need to find a, a professional in your group if you don't have any background to help put you on something that you can monitor. And then, you know, different people will respond to different diets. Uh, I'll give you an example. My business partner is a keto guy that works really well for him, and I'm a vegetarian. And so, and we both use digestive aids in order to improve our digestion, but we found those two diets work best for us. So I'm not diet centric, but a lot of people are. I'm not saying this is the right diet because there's every diet has limits and advantages depending on who the person is and their lifestyle. And so you have to recognize that. So I think a lot of people get in these camps and they become very narrow that, well, why isn't this working for me? Well, it might not be the right diet for your genetics. That's step one. And from that, so you, you kind of started answering a question that I've been thinking about as you've been talking. So we, we're really inundated with all these different types of diets and there's bulletproof and there's keto, which I guess is kind of like bulletproof or, or vice versa, I suppose. Right. And there's the slow carb and there's paleo. You know, there's a million of them. So you right. said that, you know, not everybody's genetics really are going to support a particular diet. Um, how do people go and find that out? Like, how can somebody who you know, is online and being bombarded with all these different types of diet types, how do they go figure out what might be the right one for them? Or more importantly, what is the wrong one for them? This is extraordinary. In fact, we have a lady that works with us. Her name is Katrine Valensky, who actually is a, uh, an expert in what's a field called nutrigenomics. So this is a relatively emerging field, which is they're able to take a swab of your DNA and, uh, you know, and, and analyze it and determine what diet would actually be best supportive of your individual genetics. And then there's an, a new, another field that's called epigenetics, which is how to turn on and off various aspects of your own DNA, which might have been turned off from your current diet, which over a period of time, you can activate it if you're under the guidance of uh, an expert, and I do suggest you have an expert. There's also technology called gut mapping, which can look at the flora that you have in your uh, your microbiome. So, do you have the right bacteria? You know, you know people will find that uh, maybe they're suffering from depression, but there's an overgrowth of one bacteria or not the other, or they have a uh, yeast infection, 
And you can actually correct that if you introduce the right bacteria and change your dietary habits. So um, there can be kind of like uh, short-term diets that will allow you to overcome a particular condition and under the guidance with a professional, and then kind of a long-term strategy. And most people, that's what they have to do. They have to start off and let's stop the problems first. And there's a period of restriction and there's a period of management or the introduction of particular foods or particular nutritional products to kind of get you over that transitionary period. And then there's the secondary phase, which is where you pick a diet that's actually built for you and that you will start to produce, your your body will produce all the components that it needs to, to be happy, to be fit, to be all that. And then there's a third stage, which is kind of, I would call the the Dave Asprey crowd, if you will, the biohackers, which are looking at, okay, I've, I've got the major problems figured out. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm, you know, I'm fit. I'm happy. I'm healthy. Where can I actually take this? And, 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 and how do I move to that kind of optimal level of performance? And so we're in the, as our company by Optimers, that's what we do. We take people through that initial phase, the medium phase, and then ultimately to the optimization phase. Because once you start producing results and once you can actually know what works for your body and you're out of confusion, uh, it's fantastic. And you go, wow, I mean, this amazing organism is so awesome. And it's so responsive to when you have this figured out. The, the thing is, is where I think a lot of people run into problems is they hear about a diet or they hear about or their friend does something and they automatically assume that's going to work for them. And that's really guesswork because they keep coming up with new diets because there's no one diet that will solve everybody's challenges. And, uh, and I think people have to recognize that. That's, that's great stuff. And I want to talk a little bit more about bio-optimizers in a moment. But one, one of the things that I was thinking about as you were sharing that is I, I recall being in the supermarket trying to find probiotics for my kids. And they had literally 50 different bottles on the shelf. And it's almost overwhelming. So for the average person who you know, doesn't have a background in nutrition... How do you figure out what are the right supplements for you? How do you figure out of um, all those choices, what are the right types of probiotics or other aids that one could take? You know, this is one of the biggest challenges that I think faces the average person um, who doesn't have a background in this or can't determine, you know, why is this probiotic $100 and why is this $10? Why is this enzyme $80 and this one is $10, $12? And, 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 the inability to assess those things. And frankly, I think if someone is struggling in their own life with you know their health or their diet or their fitness goals, whatever that is, rather than spend a whole bunch of money just going for a product, go hire yourself an expert that can help you. It's going to cost you more money up front, but it's going to save you more money down the road because now you're going to select the right products for you at that particular time. Because when you first start out, oftentimes people do need digestive aids to get things going. They need some enzymes and they need a good probiotic or, or maybe some HCL to get things going. And they might be able to wean off that once their dietary component kicks in and they introduce the foods that are going to support them. And in order to do that, it's better to get a little bit of expertise first. What I have found, if they're if you're getting acid reflux, you're getting gas, you're getting bloating, you're getting constipation or diarrhea, there's three things that you can do. A high quality, quality proteolytic enzyme, a balanced HCL and HCL that has some enzymes in it and some mineral component into it, 
And the third thing is I would get a, a proven probiotic strain that has either got a patent or signed some scientific research that it is able to survive the gastrointestinal tract and that it can work uh, inside your body and produce a result. Those are the three things that I look for and those things. And then the next thing on top of that, you, you, you want to be consuming three to four liters of water every day uh, instead of the other you know, drinks that people are consuming all the time and move to whole foods. And okay. sound, if you do all that, you're going to be in good shape. And you, you've mentioned, Wade, a couple of times, you know, hiring somebody who has the expertise to guide you through this process. So as people are jumping online and looking for these professionals in their community, what are the things they should be looking for to, to let them know that this is a, you know, legit trained person versus somebody sure. who just decides to hang up their shingle and say, I'm a nutritional expert? Great. Um, first thing, I want to separate two things. There is the your medical doctor, which is trained in the treatment of um, pathological conditions and and provides treatments for those. And there, you know, that's one form of doctor that most people are familiar with. On the holistic health side, that people really work with their diets, I would start with a naturopathic physician. A naturopathic physician is going to be able to guide them. Um, through the various tests and everything to find things out and really add a level of expertise. It's essentially a medical doctor, only they're focused on natural components to kind of a long-term care. So your medical doctor, I would say, is short-term care. You're going to die or something's really bad. You need surgery. They're great on that stuff. A naturopathic physician is going to look and say, hey, you know what? Here's some things that are in your diet that's not working. Let's look at your genetics. Let's look at your epigenetics. Let's build a dietary and a lifestyle component around it. That's a good start. Um, there are uh, dietitians and nutritionists. They vary depending. So there's sport-specific ones is where a lot of people will be common with. So for example, people who are cultivating diets for long-distance runners are going to have a different philosophy than people who are cultivating diets for strength athletes. So if you want, if you're in one of those fields, you would kind of deviate to, to that particular person and still have that naturopathic physician in there and still have your medical doctor. Those three people, I think, are what I call the, your initial Jedi counsel. Okay, very um, good. And so, so you can develop an, an ongoing basis. So if you're doing all your, nat, your regular testing with your GP and your regular testings with your, your naturopathic physician, you're going to be in good shape. And then if you want to add in a, a nutritionist, a, a well-trained nutritional therapist that should, should have at least uh, one or two years relative to the field you're dealing with of specific training and likely will have produced a bunch of results that you can compare to, talk to their, you know, talk to their uh, customers or clients. Most of them, if they're really good at what they do, they're happy to turn that over to you. If they're not so good, they won't give you that information. So move on. And then uh, that's, that's the start of your team. And so very quickly, I think most people know what a nutritionist is and everybody knows what a primary care physician is. For those who hadn't, have not heard the term naturopathic physician, talk to us about what you mean by that. So these are physicians that are trained in very much like a doctor. They have to go to school the same as a doctor. And instead of just prescribing drugs for symptoms, they prescribe a variety of some people would call alternative or holistic-minded solutions on a long-term basis. And they typically are someone that you would see on a periodic basis, like you would your GP, that is able to say, okay, well, 
I'm looking at your hormone levels. You know, you have a too much estrogen inside your diet. Let's kind of get some some dietary components that will bring up your bring down your estrogen and bring up your testosterone. We're seeing that you're not converting maybe various hormones inside your body. We here's some foods we can introduce or some nutritional supplements that we can do. They might look and say, oh, you know, you have a B12 issue. We can issue B12 shots or a B12 supplementation, which is quite common, particularly in vegetarians that that suffer from deficiencies in that. So they'll be able to pinpoint deficiencies and provide you a lot more long-term care that the medical doctor can't under the conditions that they're they're under. GPs, for as a general rule, aren't trained in nutrition and aren't trained in that. They get like three credit hours. They're trained in the, in the treatment of acute therapies where naturopathic physicians spend a good deal of their time on that. And so that's the difference between the two. Is that a term that's synonymous with functional medicine doctors or is that similar? Well, functional medicine is kind of like, I would say, almost a bridge between those two areas where they're, they're, we're starting to see so many more lifestyle-related illnesses than maybe that we passed that I think in the next 10 to 20 years, we'll actually see this as a branch of the, like a fusion between naturopathic physician style and, and general practitioners or medical things into this kind of functional medicine field. So I'm seeing a crossover of both groups moving into that field over the last 10, 15 years, um, but we're not quite there yet. You know, there's, So there's still a lot of amb- ambiguity and, and variance, I would say, between who calls themselves a functional medicine doctor, who calls themselves a naturopathic physician, and who calls himself a general practitioner, or and who calls himself a nutritionist. Got it. Thank you for that clarification. And, and we're, we're close to time here, but I wanted to return back to Bioptimizer so people can learn more and find out about the work that you guys are doing there. Yeah. So you, you led to a great question and that is, well, how do I sort this all out as a person and how do I maintain a budget? And so what we did at Bioptimizers is I took my literally the compilation of my 30-year journey and I've coached uh, over 15,000 clients myself and we've served over 50,000 clients at their company. And I created a 12-week step-by-step course. I call the awesome health course. It's uh, an awesome stands for seven different pillars that I've found and that work for people, air, water, exercise, sunlight, optimizers, which are enzymes, probiotics, uh, essential fatty acids, essential uh, minerals, essential amino acids, and herbs are the kind of those areas. Mental beliefs and attitudes and education, testing, and coaching. Where do you get your education? How do you do the right testing? And who's going to coach you through that journey? So that awesome health formula I condensed into an 84-day video that are done sequentially, 12-week course. And it's five to 15 minute videos where I actually give specific references of where people will get their most value for their money before they start doing any supplements. So how do they get a good breathing, get their breathing properly, which is an essential component? What kind of water did they start to use and how do they hydrate properly? What's the best exercise for them in their lifestyle? And I do references to all the people that I learned from, compiled it into the 12 healthy habits, all these sort of things inside of that, that allows people to systematically go through this process over the course of 12 weeks, get a complete education of the whole overall, what's the picture, where are we going, what are the things I need to focus on and put my resources into next, and then, and then start contacting the people, as I said, to put it on your Jedi Council to really dive deep. But to start taking action right now, even if you don't have any money or you don't know where to start, it's a step-by-step, hold your hand every step of the way. And I actually give that away to your listeners so they can go to uh, 
buyoptimizers.com slash TDH. And we're going to give that to you for free um, so that people can start their journey and take from, because, you know, we can't get all of this in a, in a conversation and it's something that's convenient while you're, you know, taking the kids to, uh, you know, to, to, to band practice or to uh, a <laughs> dance class, you can sit and watch one of these videos and go, oh, and do a little bit of research. I give all the references. I didn't discover all this. I just organized it in a simple format for people to, to move forward. Outstanding. And so we will, we're, I appreciate you doing that. And we'll have the, the link that you mentioned in the show notes so that people can take advantage of that. Wade, I have absolutely loved our chat today. Uh, as you know, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests a single question. And that is, what is your biggest helping, the most important piece of information you'd like somebody listening to this to walk away with? Take action on your health now before you run into serious problems. I think in today's world, it's very easy to be busy. It's very easy to be dialed into kind of the digital work. It's very easy to put off those little things that we know that we need to address. You know, I'm gaining a little bit too much weight or I'm not feeling quite right or I'm, I'm having this symptom. When your body is giving you a message that something's not working, you need to pay attention. Just like if the light was flashing on your oil light on your car, you would take it into the mechanic. Your body is a highly advanced machine. It is the most sophisticated organism I think there is on the planet. And there is literally millions of things going on. And if something's not working, you can adjust this through lifestyle oftentimes before you get into a serious illness that takes you out and compromises your life. Spend the time on it. Put the effort into it because whatever you put into it, it'll reward you 10, 20, even 100x in value in life. And I do believe it is the best investment. Perfect. I love that. Wade, where can people find you? Uh, they can just reach out to me at uh, buyoptimizers.com. Uh, reach out there, find me in there. We got the Awesome Health Podcast. Um, if you have specific questions, uh, email our support team. And I literally answer all of the questions that come into, I think I've got, I don't know, we're closing in on 6,000 different questions that I have answered. And I love doing it because I love reaching out to people optimizers.com any of the support channels call in tile text chat whatever you want to do i'll eventually get to it so fantastic wade i have loved our discussion today thanks so much for coming on the show dr richard a pleasure to be here and i want to thank also each and every one of you who chose to listen to this episode today if you like what you heard go subscribe to us on itunes and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the podcast but most importantly go out there today and do something nice for somebody else even if you don't know who they are and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag my daily helping because the happiest people are those that help others 